a way through. We don't have a plan through. But somehow you make a way. Somehow you are the way. So I ask, Lord God, that you would help us today to find a way through in our lives, a way that's, that's going to be significant and give our lives purpose and strength. And, Father, make our lives count for more than just for ourselves. But, Father, that because of our pursuit of you and our belief in Christ, Father, we could begin to impact and love and care about people around us and, and begin to share and give the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ himself. So I pray, Lord God, that you would teach us today how to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, everybody. This side's fired up. Is anybody fired up on the other side? All right. Good deal. Good deal. Good deal. I like it. Thank you, worship team. See, Pastor Steve? That's about as tired as he gets right there. He's been, uh, he's been fighting with sound equipment for a week now. So anyway, the pastor said, we should go ahead and update while we have the money. And Steve said, sure, I'll do all the work. That's not exactly how it went down, but that's what happened. <laughs> so he did all the work. Man, so uh, let me talk a little bit about February 6th. Uh, February 6th is our, uh, we, every year, we didn't get to do it last year because of, you know why. I'm tired of saying it. So anyway, um, but this year, uh, we're going to return to our annual State of the Church address, vision casting, those kind of things. So this will be a luncheon after church on the 6th. But that whole day, we're going to focus on the future, the vision. God's, God's laying some stuff on our hearts that's... Uh, Maybe some adjustment in, in our direction and how we look at things and approach things. So February 6th, you might want to be here like all day. I'll be here all day. You can hang out with me all day. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. Yeah. Sue thinks it's fun. She's the only one that's really all I needed, so I'm good. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Leonard. Okay. So we're back in. You're like, he, I don't think he has any support. I don't think he has any support. I, I do. I do. I do. I do. Um, Okay, so today we're going to wrap up the series of Apostle. The point. <laughs> Leonard cracked a joke. I lost my train of thought. Uh, while I have done, while I've lost my train of thought, let me welcome the online audience. Hey, don't forget to check in, say hi or something, so we'll know that you were there. And hopefully you can hear us today. Last week was our mime service. And we were in a box. So, so uh, the point of this first series of the year was to set up something for later in the year. The big idea that God has in my heart and mind is this idea that is probably not going to make sense to you, but get used to hearing this term. It'll, it'll take on color and definition as we work through the year, and it's trans, transformational ecclesia. You're like, that's Greek to me. It's also Greek to me. Good job. You knew what language it was. <laughs> the church in Ephesus challenged me a few months ago. I was listening to a guy teach on Ephesus, and he said something that made me totally forget and not hear anything else he said because I got lost in the story of the church in Ephesus. And what has impacted me about the church of Ephesus is that Apollo showed up first, and then Paul, and when Paul was, began ministering in the city of Ephesus, it was a pagan witchcraft-filled city. It was dedicated to the princess Diana, a pagan Greco-Roman god. In 40 years, four decades, the city of Ephesus moves from a town filled with witchcraft to being the central hub for Christianity. In 40 years, we go from a place where uh, there's a riot because their temples are losing money to a time where the Apostle John, after his time at Patmos even, comes back to Ephesus and spends his few remaining days in the pocket of Christianity. 
in four decades. That city was transformed. So I think that's what the ecclesia is supposed to do. I think the church, and I'm using the term ecclesia because it's the Greek word where we, we have derived our word church from, but I think our word church today, we typically connect to a building. And what I want us to see is that it's not about a building, it's about people, which is ironic because we'll be talking about some things next in our, on the 6th that um, we'll have something to do with that. That's pretty funny now that I think about it. But it is about a people and how a people can transform a community. So when I started this series on the Apostle, the Apostle Paul's job was to get the ecclesia set up the way Jesus wanted it set up in the Gentile world. Because the Gentile world is the one that would reach the entire world. So today we come into our last message of the series and we're, we're dealing with how Paul finished, completed his course. So I wanted to take a minute and by way of introduction just kind of think, what's your plan? I mean, what's your life plan? Do you, you ever think about that? You, pro- you should. Some of us don't. I mean, when we're younger, we're just like, it'll all work out. And then you get older and you go, this is not working out. <laughs> and you're like, I better have a plan. And then you try a plan and it doesn't work out. And you try another plan, it doesn't work out. Pretty soon you just kind of survive with style. Is that it's kind of what? It's like, I'm just surviving, but I have style while I'm falling on my face. Anyway, I, I look good doing it. Maybe it starts out, you know, you're in high school, elementary high school, you know, and maybe you're going to be a rock star, superstar, a billionaire. All my kids were going to be rich, and I was like, please, please be rich. Please. You're my retirement plan, so be rich. At least one out of eight you would think would be rich, right? So anyway, so uh, anyway. So you start out, you know, as a young person, you have this plan, and then it turns into a career plan. Maybe it's a, a business that you want to start. Maybe it's a job you want to have, a company you want to work for, all those kind of things. But that's, that's the plan. That's where you're aiming, and maybe it's specific, and maybe it's not. But you get in the groove, whatever it is, and you put your life to something, a career, a business, whatever it is. And every year you take some time off, take a vacation. But in the, bottom, in the end, you give 40 to 50 years of your life to somebody who's not you. You know, it sounds awful when you say it that way, doesn't it? And then, of course, you retire, and then you spend the rest of your life going to the doctor. The retired people are not laughing. Anyway, so uh, that is not funny. All right. And that's kind of the, I mean, is that, I mean, you want a successful career, you want to be somebody, build some fame, build some notoriety, build some influence, whatever it is. But then there's that other, there's several stages of life, but at some point you hit that quote unquote retirement stage. Only about a third of everyone who starts their working career makes it to retirement age. So you only really have a 66% chance, not to depress you, (laughs) you only have a 66% chance. So your wife is probably going to spend what you earn. Anyway, um. Look, some of you are going, that's funny, and others are going, that is not funny. <laughs> if everything works out, if everything works out. Now, let me, let me, a moment of sobriety here. If you don't get sick, leading cause of bankruptcy in the country today is medical illness. If you don't get sick, if you don't have an extended job loss that wipes out your retirement savings at the wrong time in your life. Uh, If the stock market just keeps going up forever, which they act like it's going to do, if all this stuff works out and you get the dream retirement, whatever it was, travel, golf, 
go annoy the grand, spoil the grandkids and ruin your kids' adulthood, whatever you're working on. If all of that works out, there's coming a day when you die. It's the point of the men wants to die. All of us have an appointment one day. It may be, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a hundred years from now. Well, not me, but you know. And then you get your little six and a half by two and a half foot box under the sod. Or you get to be in a box, on a shelf, in a box. <laughs> or they scatter you out in the winds, and everyone gets to experience you. <laughs> How many of you are like, oh, that's what I want now. <laughs> so I need someone to go hike me up in the winds and let me go. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> Some people fear death. In fact, a lot of people fear death. A lot of Christians fear death because it's unknown. They don't know what's on the other side. Even those of us who know, have studied the scriptures and have a fairly decent idea of what Jesus promises, it's still a lot of unknowns. Some folks are going to fight it right up to the point they meet Jesus. And some folks are going to embrace it. My point is, you're going to finish one way or the other. You're an example one way or the other, and you're going to finish one way or the other. And right now, you are part of something. You are part of the story of God. You're part of ordinary faith. You're part of this community. You have a place here. And that place isn't just about you. It's not not about you. Sometimes we underestimate how significant we are in God's plan and overestimate how powerful we are in our plan. And so I want you to think about the finish because that you and I, as if you're a believer in this room, if you're not a believer yet, uh, then I'm about to present you with a conundrum. But if you're a believer, you have a reality, and it's this. You don't own you. This is a reality that every Christian has accepted and walked into. I don't own my own life. Michael, why would you say that? That sounds weird. Well, it's because Paul said it. He said, don't you realize that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You don't belong to you. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. We are not God. We need God. We are not God. We need God. And this is where we begin with understanding our finish and our, our life in terms of its, its entirety. Is I don't own me, God owns me. I'm not here to write my story, I'm here to be written into His story. I can have greater purpose in His story than I could ever have in my own little story. Which would be very, very small if it were even possible. But in His story I have a place and so if I can ever settle that issue of ownership in my life, if you can ever settle that issue of ownership, what that will do, if you can realize, I'm not God, I need God, and I can be in His, I can belong to Him, now it moves me into the ecclesia. See, that's the whole point of the, the called out assembly, the called out ones, is that they belong to God. They're a remnant. They're here to tell God's story and share God's reality and demonstrate God's character, particularly His love. 
And so when I settle this issue of who I belong to, then I, I exist in a different place. I am part of a significant and powerful group of people. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. I just need to make sure you're awake. You're like, Michael, that was a little bit heavy. Yes, it is. Giving up of your life is a challenge and critical. So we come back to Paul, who gave up ownership of his life, and we're coming into literally the last chapter of his life, the last few words that he wrote. He's writing to Timothy, his son in the ministry. Paul had no biological sons, but he had several spiritual sons and daughters and churches that he parented. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy, and these are these are just baptized in, these words are just baptized in a man who's given everything for Jesus, who's lost everything and gained far more, who saw his life as a sacrifice that he could give to God the Father through Jesus. And he's writing to Timothy, and he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, Timothy's giving him some counsel, some dad advice. He says, you, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of what? Suffering. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Don't be afraid of suffering. I don't know if they teach this in school, if your mom and dad had a little sit down with you, but life is hard. It really is. In fact, when you think life is easy, you should duck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got this. Something's coming. It's, it's, it's going to be hard. You're going to have hard moments. Hey, and if you're in an easy season right now, we are all happy for you. I'm not saying we're not jealous, but we are happy for you. But you need to know life is hard. You're going to have setbacks gut punches. You are going to go through things in your future that right now you can't even imagine as a possibility. Right now you don't even have a scope to capture what you are going to go through in your future. Like, Michael, that's depressing. I don't know. It goes both ways. There's going to be hard things you're going to endure and there's going to be joyful things you're going to get to enjoy. There'll be both. But you need to know that life isn't fair. You need to know God didn't do this. That's right. What God did, you can find out about in Genesis chapter 1. Mm -hmm. That was God's idea. Everything after Genesis 3, that was Adam's idea. He said, well, I, I'm mad at Adam. Good, because he's you. <laughs> and so life is hard, and if we can wrap our head around that, that that we, it can set us free. We can stop expecting everything to go our way. And that can set us free. Because if you can realize that there is going to be suffering in our life, and you don't, you don't, you don't have to be afraid of it, then you can choose to step forward into whatever pain tomorrow may bring with courage and with confidence. Instead of pain and suffering and difficulty knocking the wind out of you, you can use it. Do you hear me? You can use the pain to grow, to become stronger, to become wiser, to become everything God has for you to become. 
God didn't ordain the pain, but God knows how to use the pain. First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes this, he says, Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. Pause. You got, how many of you know that Jesus Christ suffered? That he suffered. God's one and only son suffered. So the idea that you can get through life without suffering doesn't make sense, does it? God's one and only son suffered. So Paul, Peter writes, he suffered. Have the same attitude. Be ready to suffer too. For if you suffered for Christ, I'm going to come back to that term, suffering for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. What am I supposed to do with all this bad stuff? Paul had plenty of it. And here's the answer, and it's very simple. Everything, 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 say everything. Everything is for Jesus. Everything is for Jesus. One of the things that robs us as American Christians is our segregated way of thinking. And what I mean by that is we live our lives and we have our work life, and it's this box over here, and for the men, it's a very rigid box with high walls. It's the work box, and it touches no other boxes. <laughs> for the women, it's a leaky box, but it's still a box. <clears throat> so you have the work box, and then you have the home box over here. That's where the kids are, and that one is a messy box. No matter whose box it is, that's a messy <laughs> box. Okay? And, and inside the, the, marriage, the home box, there's, there's little boxes. There's the marriage box, my relationship with my spouse, there's the kids box, there's the pets box, because they're like kids too nowadays, I mean things have changed, and so you have the work box and the home box, and then over here you have the, the community box, the rest of the world, and somewhere in that you have the, the church box. It's a colonized mind, it's a, it's a trick of the, the Greco-Roman world where we separate our life into these boxes that do not exist. It's, it's dumb to think you can separate all these pieces of your life. And I'm a guy saying that. And believe me, I like my boxes. I have one called the nothing box. It's my favorite box of all boxes that are boxy. And it's my, and that's where, it's my, that's where I like to be, my nothing box. And my wife is always trying to get in my nothing box. <laughs> she wants to decorate, and she wants to bring in games and all these kind of things. And then we have discussions about, that go like this, stay out of my nothing box. <laughs> these boxes are tools that we use to cope with the world we live in. Jesus and the Hebrew mind and Paul's mind did not work that way. In Paul's mind, it was all one big bowl of spaghetti. And the work was connected to the worship. And the wife and the kids were connected to the temple. And everything, friendships, the temple, worship, annual remembrances and holidays, everything was connected with everything else because the, the Hebrews knew you cannot, you cannot, you cannot remove God from anything. Amen. He made it all and he made it all out of himself in some way. 
He's part of it all. He's woven into everything. He's everywhere. Even people that reject God still end up saying things that he said from time to time. It amazes me the religions that have so much truth in them. I think it's two reasons of it. One, God's too strong to evict from anything. Two, the devil knows how to make truth uh, into a lie. <clears throat> and so my point that what I want us to wrap our heads around is, is that our whole life is one thing and we can do everything in this life for Jesus. You can get up tomorrow, go to that job you love or hate, work for that boss you love or hate, and you can do that for Jesus. You can go through the hard things. You can do that for Jesus. You can do it all, everything, everything, everything for Jesus. That's the beginning of a great finish, is knowing that all of it, all the suffering, all the pain, all the joy, all of it is for Jesus. Okay? So we start there, and now that brings us into how I apply that. I don't know how you live without Jesus, man. People call religion a crutch, and I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not my crutch. He's the beat of my heart, the blood in my veins, the thoughts in my brain. He's everything. Amen. I don't need a crutch. I need life. I need a lot more than something to lean on. I need power. I don't know how you live without Jesus. I don't know how you go through diseases, sickness, cancer, heart problems. I don't know how you do that without Jesus. I don't know how you get through broken relationships, divorces, uh, lost kids, rebellious kids. I don't know how you do that without Jesus. I don't know how you lose the people you love the most in your life and endure those memorial services and the funerals and the tears and the loss. I don't know. I, I cannot tell you how to get through that without Jesus. I can't. And here's what is, to me, it's, I don't know what you call it, a sadness, a tragedy. I can't imagine anyone being denied access to Jesus, not having access to Jesus. But I live in a world where most people do not have access to Jesus. And I know, you, well, man, there's churches everywhere. Yeah, nobody's going to them. Not many people are going to them. Look at us today. I mean, there's a lot of folks you know that don't do this. And, and that's one thing that denies them access to Jesus is they won't come to where Jesus has talked about. But also, a lot of people are denied access because they've never had a Christian in their life who felt confident or compelled or motivated to take a minute and just love them like Jesus would love them. Or pray for them. Do you know how many people I pray for that have never had anyone pray for them? Do you know how much fun it is to pray for someone who's never had someone pray for them? It's a, it's a blast. You're praying for this person who was grumpy at Walmart, and they just checked you out, and they didn't like you, and you're praying for them. I'm not saying that really happened. I'm just saying it's a what if. And you pray for them. And, and I'll tell you, people need to know the truth, but they need to encounter the God who created the truth. And that's the power of prayer. When you pray for somebody, even if it's as simple as God, would you just help this person have a better day? Even if it's that. I've prayed for people to win the, win the lottery before, by the way. I asked, them, what do you want me to pray for? Well, I could, I could stand winning the lottery. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. If you win, can I? No, I'm just kidding. 
What I actually tell people is, I said, if you do win, don't tell anyone I prayed for you. Because I don't need that kind of pressure, all right? <laughs> Two years ago, elk season comes in. This guy calls me up. We're talking about things. He says, by the way, I got to hunt this weekend. I have only one weekend to get it done, and we really need the meat. Would you pray that we have... Uh, that I have a successful hunt. He called me back the next week, had the biggest bull he'd ever shot in his life. And I said, tell no one. <laughs> I cannot have that kind of pressure. Go to Ordinary Faith, you'll get a big elk this year. No, no, no. <laughs> there are a lot of ways people get denied Jesus, and the only way they're going to get Jesus is through the people in this room. To the people in churches today, in the ecclesia, around the world today, who take the time to bring Jesus into weird and ordinary and normal and day-to-day situations. And it's not hard and it's not weird. It doesn't have to be complex. But that is why we're here. See, we have a mission. And that's what Paul kept Paul going, was that he had a mission and a ministry. And here's what it is. That ministry is to give people access to Jesus. It's not complex, it's not hard, it's not even intimidating. Listen, I'm not talking about you going out in the street corner, Rock Springs in January, and, and, and shouting Jesus from the corner. One, no one's going to roll down their window and hear you, okay? That's <laughs> not going to work. But I'll tell you this, I, I used to struggle with Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. I used to wonder, God, why did you kick off this whole ecclesia thing with this weird gift of tongues? And the the longer I have studied it and thought on the idea, I think I have an answer, not all the answers, but an answer, and it's this. Everybody speaks a different language. And I'm not just talking English, Spanish, Russian, Italian. Some people speak music. Some people speak recreation. Some guys speak hunting. Some speak fishing. Some some folks uh, speak adventure and challenge. Some people speak art. There are a lot of languages. That's why there are a lot of people in the ecclesia who are filled with Jesus, so they can go out and find ways to speak people's language and share with people. You see, the church's job isn't just to proclaim the good news about Jesus. Our job is to make sure they get a good hearing. It's not enough to go out and listen. We told them about Jesus Christ. We gave them the gospel. They rejected it. We're out. That is not how this works at all because that is not how God the Father does things at all. God doesn't just walk up and say, here's the deal. Trust my son or you're out. God pursues people, chases people down. He looks for that lost sheep. Even if it's one and the other 99 are saved, he goes out and gets them. God is a seeker and a finder and a speaker. And if we're going to be godly, which we learned a few weeks ago, that's the purpose of doctrine, was to make us like God, then we're going to start acting like our Father and finding ways to speak the language. I love, I love, the, uh, I love how God makes different people and gifts them in different ways. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to embarrass her. I shouldn't say her name. I won't, but her name is... Hallie. Uh, uh. Hallie's my artist friend. She's my, she's my wife's closest friend. I'm like a brother to her, which means my job is to annoy her. I'm very, very good. I love how Hallie can take, 
can take words and take ideas that can't even be articulated and put them on a canvas and all of a sudden they say something. And she speaks a language and she preaches the gospel. I love how Steve can take the piano that I'm, I don't know how old, how old were you when you started playing piano, Steve? Little. Five? Five? Wow. I, I, I'm going to suggest that Steve got a lot of spankings over the piano. <laughs> I love how Steve, it's, it's, I love to hear him warming up. I love to hear him worship with his fingers. I love to hear, I love to hear the worship team uh, lose it. And they're singing a song and all of a sudden they're not in here anymore. I love that. I love that when you do that. I love it when, you, when, the, when the intellectuals and the deep thinkers, when I start saying things and all of a sudden they're like, I don't know if he's right, I better check. I love that. Never, ever, ever trust me. Trust Jesus. That's worship, okay? Go to the Word. I love all of these beautiful things. They all speak a language, and our job is to share the good news about Jesus in any way that we can. And in every way that we can, for as long as we can. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to even get to the four spiritual laws. It'd be nice if you knew a way to help someone come to faith. But the main thing is that you share the good news about Jesus with every person you can. Hey, and you know what? You could start at home. Those beautiful lives God gave you, those your children that are actually God's men and women, Start with them. And so, you have a ministry. Now, Paul had a ministry, so we started with the finish. So how do we get from your, this Jesus to your ministry to the finish? So Paul says this to Timothy, some of the most powerful words that he wrote about himself, actually. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He's in a prison in Rome. Nero is insane Christians are dying and he's coming up soon up on the docket my death is near I have fought a good fight I have finished the race and I have remained faithful and now the prize the prize awaits me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to His appearing. A few things I want to show you. The first, I want you to see that Paul said he was faithful. 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 You see, that's what it's about. No one would honor a soldier who went out, fought one battle, said he'd done his duty, and he came back and Netflixed and chilled the rest of his life. You see, we're not in a battle. We're in a war. We are in a war that has been won, but we still have job to do. And so I want you to think about the fact that Paul was faithful and he counted faithfulness as an important thing. And so I just want to just contend for that longevity in your faith. 
I was uh, up here at the beginning of service. I was worshiping and thinking, and my brain was doing the things it does before I do a sermon, which is you're normally like, ah, I think I forgot everything. But, but anyway, and Deanna was behind me, and she laid her hand on me, and she started praying for me. And I guess it's brag on some ordinary faith or day. And I just got to thinking while she was praying for me how long I've known this lady and her honorary husband. How long she's been there, how many things she's done that nobody knows about. I mean, the, the Bible study guide she's put together, the, the things she picks up, that's, and that's just what she's doing now. She used to put together the bulletin every week. And I, I just can't even, I, I don't even know all the things to list. There's this servant that's been around Christy and I for, whew, going on close to 20 years now, that's just always made herself available. She's just been steady. She's just faithful. I, there's... There's at least 30 others in this room just like her. But my point is, it takes steadiness and faithfulness to win this thing. If, you, if, if you're aiming for the finish, it takes faithfulness to get to the finish. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be a rock star. In fact, I prefer you not be. We all need stable steadiness in our life. And that's what Paul had. He said he was faithful. And it's always been about faithfulness. It's about stepping up every day and fighting another day for your faith and for the faith of those around you. So it's about faithfulness. But then it's also about those people that are out there. Those people that are around you. Because, like I said, the war's already been won, but we're still saving lives. It's like the end of World War II. Germany had been taken, they'd been defeated, and the Allied forces were all over Germany and in other countries finding these prisons filled with people who were suffering, not just Jews. There were 6 million Jews killed in the Holocaust. There were 5 million Europeans on top of that. 11 million people died in those concentration camps. Not just the 6 million Jews. They were all over Europe. See, the war had been won, but those people hadn't been set free yet. And that's where Jude comes in with this very graphic image. In Jude chapter chapter 1, verse 22, he says, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, rescuing others by snatching them, snatching them from the flames. Every translation of Jude 1, 22 and 23 has this graphic image of just reaching in and saving someone's life. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to steal others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Maybe, may we ever, every day of our lives, live as followers of Jesus who look like and behave like citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but who smell like hell because we have snatched so many people from its flames. That's our mission. That's why we are faithful. That's what the finish is about, because there is a prize. I used to, I used to struggle with the idea of, of prizes and rewards. Like, isn't it self-serving to, to serve for a, a prize? But that was before I realized why Jesus gives us prizes. There's a few reasons that I can see in this text. It's, it's amazing to me that Paul talks about the crown. You guys, uh, have you guys seen the Lord of the Rings, maybe? Preachers have, if you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, you can't actually be in ministry as a preacher today. It's just, it's like on the entrance thing into seminaries. Have you watched it? If not, come back when you have. 
favorite cinematic moment for me in all the films I've watched, and I love movies, is the return of the king scene. Where the king has returned, the tree has bloomed, and everything is restored. Now, it's important. I love the scene because I know Tolkien was a believer, and the whole series is an analogy of the Christian life in battle. And I love the brutality of it because I think Tolkien's more honest than most preachers have ever been. But I see that scene of the king, and I, I, it just gets me motivated. I think when I watched it in theaters, I might have shouted, you don't want to watch a movie with me if it has a Christian theme in it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I might get excited. I watched that kid's cartoon, uh, Prince of Egypt, with, with my sons, and when, when Moses parted the Red Sea, I, I, lost, I lost it in the, yeah. <sighs> my kids were not happy. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus gives crowns. Do you ever wonder why it's a crown? Here's the short answer. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm in a room of kings and queens right now. That's, you're, well, he's talking about the nations of the earth. He is. But he's also talking about the royal priesthood through Peter's pen in the, in the epistle of Peter. He's talking about sons and daughters of the king who are going to reign and rule through eternity. Kings and queens. He's the king of kings. And so he gives them crowns. But he doesn't give them crowns to wear. He gives them crowns to celebrate with. Did you have a graduation ceremony coming out of high school or college? And you had that, who designed that stupid looking flat hat? Where did that thing come from? It's been around forever though. I think part of it is because they make such great frisbees. And you, you graduate and you gather an assembly wherever it is, whatever the, however the celebration's set up, and all of a sudden, sooner or later, all those hats are going, boom! I'm done. That hat my parents paid 50 bucks for is lost. <laughs> Jesus gives us crowns because we're going to throw them at his feet. Yeah. And we're going to do that because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Right. And every soul that's ever saved is because he saved them. Every life that's ever changed is because he changed them. Every person he's ever moved through, lived through, breathed through, changed through is because he did it. And we're all going to be there. The, the son of the king, the king. He's our king and we're kings and queens underneath his rule. And, and we're going to throw our crowns at his feet because you did it, Jesus. You're the champion. You're the king of kings. You won the war. You set us free. You are Lord. I can't wait. If y'all think, I mean, I think heaven's church, but not church like we've ever been to. I think it's going to get rowdy up there. I do believe that when we get home and realize what we've been saved for and changed from and, and our future, I do not think heaven is harps and clouds and weird music. I, I think heaven is a celebration. I think it's fun. I think there are new challenges that we're going to be empowered to enjoy for our king. I, I can't wait. But mainly I can't wait to see Jesus. You see, there's a prize, and that's where we're headed. 
That's where we're going. Every person on this planet is going to meet Jesus one day. Everybody. Believe him or not, doesn't, doesn't matter. You've got an appointment, you'll be there. Even the ones of you who are late, you'll be there. And when you meet him and he looks at you, <laughs> dear child of God, because I'm thinking of our lives and how ordinary they are. I mean, really, I'm, I'm like you. What have I ever done that's that great? I mean, what, what could Jesus say about me? I, I've done not much. I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. I, I've run some businesses. I've annoyed a lot of people, cracked a lot of dad jokes that did not land. But maybe it's not about what you do. Maybe it's about how you do it. That's right. Yep, right. Maybe it's about who you do it for. I can just imagine. Now, this is Michael Maynard's imagination. It's not the scripture, okay? I can just imagine him looking at, at that, that mom who raised those kids, and she just tried to teach them about Jesus the best she could, and she was a good mom, and she was faithful to them, and she raised them, and she wasn't perfect. She got some things wrong. And maybe the kids didn't listen. Not that kids ever don't listen, but maybe they didn't. And there she is with Jesus, and Jesus says, you did a great job. You were faithful. That's all I ever asked you to do was be faithful, and you were faithful. Every day you did with me, that's all I wanted. Or that, that man who started that business, and he struggled, and he failed five, six, seven times, but finally got one off the ground, created some jobs, did the best he could do to, to take care of them. I mean, because, being an entrepreneur is a lot like being a parent of an older set of honorier kids. And he felt like he gave every day of his life and worked too much because everyone knows an entrepreneur is a person who'll work 80 hours a week because he doesn't want to work 40 hours a week for someone else. And he worked and he gave and he stands before Jesus and Jesus said, you know, I wanted you to be faithful and you did this with me and you did this for me. Thank you. Good job. Come on in. Uh, we could do that all day, couldn't we? We could just think of all the normal, ordinary lives that are going to stand before Jesus one day, and Jesus is going to say, great job. Great job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've done well. I have been working on your place for 2,000 years. I think I've got it right. And I'm ready to take you to it now. This is the prize. This is what we're going to. This is... The finish. So I want you to do two things. One, I, I would like you to be nice to you. Your father really loves you. Jesus Christ gave everything for you. There are some ways that you need to cut you some slack. It's about faithfulness. It's about a lifetime, not today. Do you understand? And then I want to ask you, to do every single day with Jesus and for Amen. Jesus. When you, when you go to work tomorrow and do what you do, oil field, factory, underground, bank, I don't know, whatever it is that you do, just do that for Jesus tomorrow. Yeah. Just do that for Him. 
And then the next day and the next day, just, just refocus your life on that faithfulness every day, everything with and for Jesus. That's how you're going to get to the finish. That's how you're going to get to the crown. And the crown is just the ticket to the party. The crown's like confetti that you throw at a parade, only it's going to be the best, coolest parade ever with an amazing meal, probably biscuits and gravy and fried chicken. The finish. The finish. If you died today, what would your finish be? What if it's 10 years? What will your finish be? 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. What will your finish be? Just let it be. He was faithful. She was faithful. They did this with Jesus. They did every day with Jesus. They weren't perfect, but they did it with Jesus. That's the finish. Let's bow our heads. Father, I've gone long again. I just wanted to encourage your kids. I want to release a spirit from heaven of courage. I wish you would erase, and I ask that you would erase the lie that their life has been wasted, that it doesn't matter, that it's mundane, that it's boring, that it's too ordinary. I ask, Lord, that you would erase all of those lies and replace them, Lord, with the truth. And Jesus, as we stand here as sons and daughters of a king, as royalty, a royal priesthood to be exact, And I ask you to just fill your children and myself, fill us all with the courage from the Father to know that days are not ordinary, they're not mundane, that going through suffering is not a waste. That this, this, everything this, every moment this, with Jesus and for Jesus, and that's the faithfulness right there. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage these hearts. We're going somewhere. We have purpose. But we don't have to have it all figured out today. We don't have to accomplish great things today. Father, today, all we must do is do this day with Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. I'll be over on the right. If I can pray with you about anything, I'd be happy to do that.